Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you've been listening a while, you have probably heard me mention the Sarah's Laughter Ministry. Sarah's Laughter is a faith-based organization for those who are going through infertility or miscarriage or who are starting the adoption process or foster care. And we mention it anytime one of our speakers shares a story that touches on one of those topics. Also, the founder of Sarah's Laughter, Beth Forbes, shared her story on episode 62. Among the many other things she does, she hosts the Sarah's Laughter podcast, which is very similar to this one, except it is specific to infertility, miscarriage, and adoption. So recently, Beth and I, with the permission of the speakers, have started swapping some of our recorded stories from each of our podcasts. Tonight's story comes from one of the Sarah's Laughter episodes. I hope you are blessed and encouraged by this story from Amanda. We're so glad to have you back with us on the Sarah's Laughter Infertility Podcast. And I know that today's episode is going to be a great source of encouragement for you. The reason I know that is because I know our guest and I've known her for a long time. Her name is Amanda Bolton, and we've known Amanda most of her life. Uh, My husband has known her since she was a 10-year-old little girl. And we've had the privilege of watching Amanda grow into a beautiful young woman. We've seen her grow uh, through her teen years, through her early 20s and um, as she's grown into a wife and now a mom. We've also uh, watched Amanda go through the devastation of multiple losses. Now, if you have gone through the loss of your babies, if you've gone through the loss of baby after baby, make sure that you uh, grab a cup of tea and just sit down with us and hear Amanda's story. I know that you are going to be encouraged today. Amanda, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out to sit down with us and tell a little bit about your story. Thank you for having me today. Sure thing. So, Amanda, um, before we get into our story, I'm going to throw something at you you weren't expecting. Okay. Tell us something about yourself that has nothing to do with infertility or loss. Maybe something funny, something quirky, something that your friends are going to say, I can't believe she just told that. Okay. I used to always, some people may know this, but probably not because I didn't tell it very often, but I always wanted to sing exactly like Sandy Patty. (laughs) I would close myself in my room and I would record myself on my stereo and just put tape after tape in and try and sound just like her. And which was your favorite Sandy (laughs) Patty song? Um... (laughs) Love in any language. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Those of us who grew up in the <laughs> 80s and the 90s, uh, I bet most of us uh, probably belted out a few Sandy Patty songs uh-huh. in our hairbrushes, didn't we? Yep. <laughs> See, Amanda and I have, um, We when we went to church together, we also sang in the choir together, didn't we? We did. <laughs> so, we did. So that kind of doesn't surprise me a whole lot that, that, was, <laughs> that that's something that you wanted to do. Maybe we can coerce her into singing for us before the end of the I'm a pretty boring podcast. person, too, so I'm like trying to think of something. But couldn't come up with anything other than that. Yeah, I have. I have. um, I remember when I went to college back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, you know, I would sing. I would uh, drive many a mile with Sandy Patty blaring uh, from my cassette player. Yes. You know, I'm showing my age greatly. Mine were cassettes, too. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Everybody's envisioning us sitting in our wheelchairs (laughs) with our blankets across our laps with our gray hair piled on top of our head. But that's not the case. (laughs) So anyway, but Amanda, uh, I really do appreciate you coming to um, share your story. We've been working on getting this podcast done for, um, oh, goodness, long time. <laughs> so um, I'm glad to have you here and glad to have you doing this with us today. Why don't you go ahead and tell, um, tell a little bit about your story and um, what all you have gone through to build your family? I met my husband in about 2009 And um, there was this really nice looking guy walking through the church one day and I noticed him. I'm not sure if he noticed me the same day or not, but I knew there was a mutual noticing of each other and had to find out more about him. And 
turns out he did want to find out about me, I guess, about two years later. To make that story short, we were married. He had a daughter, an eight-year-old little girl, and um, I was a little scared about doing that, but she was a very sweet, sweet little girl, easy to get along with, so we we were good, and um, we got married in June, and by, I believe it was October or November, I went for my annual OB appointment, and <laughs> complained of being tired and mm. a few other little things that I didn't think were anything abnormal. Um, turns out I was pregnant. It was due on an, our one year anniversary. That baby was due on June 24th or 25th. Mm. So um, we were all excited, a little nervous because we were definitely not planning on, you know, trying to have a baby that quickly. And uh, we went for Thanksgiving with our family in Mississippi in November. And I guess about a week before then, we found out that we lost our our baby. Mm -hmm. And it was, that one was probably the hardest one as far as physical um, changes for me because it was, it made me sick. When I miscarried the baby, I actually miscarried it at home and um, I was bleeding that I had to get in the bathtub and I literally filled up half of a bathtub with Mm -hmm. blood and, um, you know, it was, it was excruciating as far as the pain. And I remember having to take medicine the night before to try and keep it from being very painful and, um, it was an emotional, it was a very emotional Thanksgiving and holidays for us that year because it kind of, I guess, put me in a mindset of, I really didn't understand mm. why that happened. Because, you know, of course, here we got pregnant so easily mm-hmm. and so quickly. Um, it was like, okay. And I, I didn't, you know, we, we had to go to Thanksgiving right around the time that this was all happening. And I remember one of my other little nieces coming up to me and wanting me to hold her. And I just literally just said, I don't want to hold you. I didn't, I didn't want to be around people. I didn't want to be around family. I didn't, I just wanted to close myself in a room and just stay there and just, I guess, cry and just, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I just wanted to, I guess, feel like I could handle it and manage it myself. I believe that's when I reached out to you and you gave me your books. Mm. And I remember how much the, um, not the baby hunger one. Love and sorrow. Love and sorrow. How much that book ministered to me. That. I read that book and I definitely went through and got the scriptures and I would read the scriptures over and over again. And that helped me get through, I think, that first part of the grieving after our first loss. And eventually I got to the point where, you know, I wasn't closing myself off from people and isolating myself from stuff anymore. Um went oh yeah and I forgot through this whole thing within the first year Tom and I were married he was complaining of his back hurting him later on we found out that he had a um, it was a benign tumor but he had a tumor inside of his spinal column and they found it about the time I was going through I was literally in a hospital room for a DNC and I can't remember right now if it was my first mis. It was my second miscarriage, I believe, but because we got, for some reason, we got pregnant again not too long after mm-hmm. our first one, and they found the tumor in his spinal column, and I was in the hospital to have a DNC, and that was the morning he was having the MRI where they found it. 
and he looked at me and he said, um, I remember I hadn't gone into surgery yet. And he looked at me and said, they're calling, they want me to come back in. He said, now, and I looked at him and I said, you need to go. And he said, no, I'll wait till you get done. And I said, no, you need to go now. And so he left. And, um, when he came back, I had, I was back in recovery and he came back in the room and I saw the look on his face and I knew that something wasn't right. And I, I was laying in that bed and he walked in and sat on the stool next to me. And I said, okay, so um, what did the doctor say? And he said, with as much calmness as he could, because my husband doesn't worry about stuff and he's not a emotional mm-hmm. person like I am. <laughs> he says, they found a spot. And mm-hmm. I, I said, okay, what, you know, what is it? And he said, they don't know. Um, we have to go see another doctor. And I said, okay, so... So back-to-back miscarriages and a tumor in his spine. Mm-hmm. Between our first and second miscarriage, we found a tumor in his and, spine. And how long had you been married? <laughs> a year. We had been married a year when they found the tumor. You probably were thinking it couldn't get much worse than this. I was. And I actually honestly was thinking, I'm going to be a widow. I'm not even going to have a chance to have any children with this man that God gave to me. And... I may even be a widow mm-hmm. because what if this thing is cancerous and what if, you know, what if it spreads and, you know, all the what ifs because cancer seems to be running rampant mm-hmm. um, now with, you know, it just seems like you find out about somebody every day that you know that's gotten it or um, their family has somehow been affected by it. And uh, yeah, I was, I was extremely scared. You had to be terrified. I was. I was extremely scared. And it was that point in time when you realize you just have to dig into your faith and dig deep and just you have to stay there. You can't you can't let those. I know it's hard and I can say you can't let those types of feelings, you know, come in because they do. Um, But. Ultimately, my husband and I both know Jesus mm-hmm. and have followed Jesus. And actually, my father-in-law is a Baptist preacher. And, you know, my husband is a preacher's kid. He's been raised in church his whole life, just like me. But, you know, that's when the rubber meets the road. Is that's your, when it becomes is, more than just words on a page. Correct. It? And it's it's when it's a relationship and not a religion mm-hmm. and um because if i mean if we didn't have that i think there's really no possible way to hold on to any type of hope and i i feel like we were able to hold on to that hope because my husband and i never ever doubted that god would give us the desires of our heart We just didn't know how, we didn't know when, but we knew it had to be in his timing and we just had to never lose hope, Mm. but our hope had to be in him, Mm -hmm. not in anything else. Mm -hmm. So you've already lost two babies. Mm -hmm. Tom comes in and tells you there's a spot on his spine. (laughs) Yes. Tom went through a a great deal of medical care, medical Mm -hmm. interventions, surgery on his spine we did we had to wait a couple months we wanted to have the surgery as soon as possible um but it was not feasible with the physician that we had chosen to do the surgery and of course they wanted us to get second opinions so we had to go through all that and um we had we finally had the surgery um, and they actually were able to move it up a little bit. I remember calling. I think they actually were able to move the surgery up about a month mm. from when it was regularly scheduled. And he ended up having that surgery in August of 2012, I believe, because by September of 2012, he was able to go back to work that month because I remember having a picture somewhere in my computer that 
It shows him in his office with his back brace on in September, I believe. So, because of course he had to take a month off from work to recover and he went through some complications after surgery. The pain medicine made him really, really sick. So um, it was, I said, you know, okay, God, I know you give us, you don't give us any more than what we can handle. So you must think we can handle a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And that was just the two losses and my husband with the possible, you know, malignant tumor. But I'll never forget the words of the doctor when he came in the room to tell us how the surgery went. And he looked at us and he said, that surgery couldn't have gone any more smoothly than it did. And he said, you must have a, you must have a higher power working for you because he said, when I went in to get that tumor, it literally just came out. It wasn't attached to any nerves. Like he had explained to us that it could be attached to a lot of nerves and he'd have to meticulously take each one off and it wasn't. And so when, when he told us that we definitely looked at him and said, Oh yes, sir. Mm. His name is Jesus. Mm. So maybe things were starting to turn around for you. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So so you've recuperated from your miscarriages. Tom recuperates from his surgeries. Where does your story go from there? <laughs> well, we had to give us some time, you know, make sure he's really good and I'm good. And so I think I started exercising, thinking, well, maybe I'm just not healthy enough. So let's try exercising. And um, we even didn't tell Julia, our, our, my stepdaughter, his daughter about the miscarriages at first. So she didn't know about the, the first two? So she didn't know until later. Mm. Um, we tried to do everything when she was with her mom so that it wouldn't affect her in a negative way mm-hmm. or, you know, affect any of our mm-hmm. relationships with her in a negative way. Um, cause she was used to being the only child. Right. So I wasn't really sure how she felt about having a brother or a sister. Um, I know she had a brother at her mom's house, but I wasn't sure how she felt about it at dad's house. Cause Mm -hmm. to her daddy, you know, she was kind of the number one. She's kind of the number one until I moved in. Right. So um, that was a challenge as far as having a stepdaughter and here Tom and I were trying to, you know, at least have one child together. And so that was a little challenging. Now, of course, her attitude was great. And she's probably, I say now, she's she makes being a stepmom easy. We've always gotten along. So let me ask you this, Amanda. Uh, we've had um, the issue of step parenting come up a good bit in our support groups. Yeah. You, you kind of get a taste of what it's like to be a parent mm-hmm. while you are a step parent to your husband's child. Does... Did, do you think that made your desire for a child of your own stronger or does it, you know, does it satisfy that longing to nurture or what did it do with you? Cause you had this strong desire to be a mom. Yes. You've, you've, you've lost two. Mm-hmm. You've come so close to being a mom mm-hmm. in different ways. How did being a step parent affect that with you? Sometimes I felt like I, you know, I'm going to leave the parenting up to dad because I don't want to, step over a line things like discipline and discipline things like that. especially which I didn't need to do much with her because she was a she's a very well-disciplined and well-behaved young lady it was it was difficult though because it was I never I think really was confident in my place with mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um I felt like I just didn't want to I guess make any waves mm-hmm. and I wanted to keep things good between her and myself and I just felt like if I did anything that might upset her you know Mm -hmm. it could cause problems so no it did not make my desire to have my own child stronger as a matter of fact it probably maybe hindered it Mm. a little bit really yeah it didn't make that desire stronger if anything it kind of made me like well maybe maybe I'm not supposed to be a mom really because maybe I'm just supposed to try and learn how to be her mom huh but even though she has a mom, mm-hmm. it was it's it's a very very hard place to be in, and it's a hard place to figure out. I still don't have it figured out, but mm-hmm. you know, it's a good it's a good relationship. But I still am not really sure of my place. Mm-hmm. 
I know that when we've talked about it in the groups and stuff, the issue that comes up is, you know, he is a parent mm-hmm. and I'm not. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it kind of puts husband and wife on a different playing field. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? Mm-hmm. You know, cause you've already had, you've already had an issue. You've already had a problem with pregnancies, right? You haven't been able at this point in your story, you haven't been able to sustain one. Right. And I just wonder, and I don't know how it was with you and Tom. I just wonder how a husband looks at it and says, but we have a child. We may not have a child together, but we have this, this wonderful kid in our lives. And I watch you going through back-to-back miscarriages and I see you as you described a little while ago in a bathtub filled with blood and I see you struggling and hurting and all of these things when we have this great kid mm-hmm. I can I don't know that that's a conversation you had but I can imagine that those are the types of conversations that come up it is how, and do, how do you how do you walk through that what what is it like it kind of would make me a little upset because he would say those things to me. As a matter of fact, he would probably say, we have Julia. And I would always tell him she's not mine. And that doesn't mean you don't love this child. And no, not at all, because I love her to death. And I'm so thankful that, you know, we have had a good relationship and that she is, she's just, she's just sweet. Like mm-hmm. I said, she is probably the best stepchild you could have around. And Tom used to say that to me, but but we have Julia, you know, and I'm like, and she's wonderful. And he's like, she's perfect. But yeah, it, it definitely never made any desire for my own children stronger because it was always just, like I said, never confident about, you know, where my place really was with her. I struggle to find that and it still sometimes is, you know, uh, it's as she gets older, it's a little bit easier mm. because she's becoming her own mm-hmm. person. And, mm-hmm. you know, and um, she's different than she was when she was seven and eight. And um, sure. and so it's a little bit easier now because I can I feel like I'm more her friend now mm. and I I can be that. Mm-hmm. I I believe I can be that because her mom is still her mom. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, that gives me an opportunity to be her friend. Hmm. So you guys have gone through back-to-back miscarriages. Yes. Thomas had this major uh, issue with his own health. And you're trying to find your place in this in the family dynamic, you know, um, <laughs> as a new wife and um, somebody grieving losses and, and um, as a stepmom too. Pick the story back up there. I changed doctors after my first miscarriage. I changed my OB and my mom had gone to a new OB and she told me about her and her name is Kristen Chapman. And I've referred several friends to her after everything we've been through, but I went to her and I will never forget my first appointment with her. I knew that I was in the right place because when I shared my story with her, and told her what had happened. Um, she literally cried with me mm. and then shared with me her story, mm. which was even probably more difficult to hear than my own. Mm. She had struggled with infertility for eight years and tried for eight years to have a baby. And I'll never forget it when she was telling me I had goosebumps on my arms mm. and I said, this is not a coincidence. This is a divine appointment. And I, I knew at that point, this is, she's going to be my new OB. And she was. Mm-hmm. And so um, this was my third one, I guess. Yes. Third one. I was pregnant again. Found out I was pregnant again. She was all excited for me. And, um, came back and we even got, I think we got to 12 weeks with that one and we were able to see an ultrasound and we saw, and I remember saying it looked like a Teddy Graham because the baby <laughs> looked like a little Teddy Graham sitting mm-hmm. on the computer screen and, um, and we lost that baby. Mm-hmm. One of the other great things about her was for that one, it was a Friday afternoon 
after we had lost the baby and we told her we wanted the tissue test sent off to find out what the sex of the baby was and to find out what was wrong or see if Mm -hmm. we could get any answers from that miscarriage. She thought we could at least try that. So we did. And so she called me back on a Friday night and it was the doctor's office number. So I answered the phone thinking, you know, why are they calling me at a five o'clock on a Friday evening? And I answered the phone and on the other end of the phone was my OB. Mm. Dr. Chapman was there at the office and had stayed and was um, going over my test results. And she said she didn't want, she wanted to be the one to call me back. Mm. And she sat there and she just stayed on the phone with me for about 20 minutes and explained to me that there was an extra chromosome Mm. And um, that baby would have been a trisomy 18, Mm. I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was a girl. Mm. And she said, I know you don't want to hear this right now, but she said, if that baby would have lived past delivery, she wouldn't have, she would not have had a quality of life. She said, trisomy 18 babies, when they when they make it past delivery, she said, which most don't, Mm -hmm. she said, but if they do, she said, it's just not the best quality of life that you would want. Mm. And so I remember her just staying on the phone with me and just, you know, who does that? (laughs) So, um, I highly recommend her for anybody. She, she really has, she has compassion for, for those types of things because she herself walked through it. So what was it like for you hearing that kind of news about, about your daughter? <laughs> I had always wanted a girl because first of all, I was an only child, so I didn't have any brothers or sisters. So yes, I had always wanted a girl. And then of course, you know, I have a stepdaughter and she was great. And so I was like, I would love to have another little girl. And she kind of said she wanted a sister. So my mind was always kind of on a yes, a girl. Mm -hmm. And so when she told me it was a girl, yeah, my heart just sank Mm. because I was like, okay. And at that point I was really just questioning, okay, God, what are you, what are you trying to tell us? Mm -hmm. Like, and I remember praying I said, God, you know, I don't know why, but I'm just asking you to please, you know, please. I was like, I know, I know you can, but if you will, you know, please just replace my losses Mm -hmm. or let me have just one. All I ask is one. But if you want to give me as many as I've lost, I'll be fine with that too. But Mm. if I could just have one and, um, of course, you know, I told Tom, he's like, why are you crying? And I told him, and, um, it was just a moment where, you know, you just kind of hold each other and you really don't know what to say. There's really no words other than you just have to, you just have to hold on to that hope. And it's just, I think that's the biggest thing is that, you just can't let go. Mm. I mean, it, it may seem a long time coming, but you just can't let go of it. You weren't ready to give up. No. And I mean, by any definition in the book, I would think people have told me, give up. Just, okay, it's not going to happen for you. So just, just give up. And I'm like, but I don't, I don't believe that that's the answer. I just had, I just strongly believed that God had promised us a family. And I, 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 I guess I just never disbelieved that Mm. there may have been times when I thought how, how long or, you know, how is this family going to look like? Or what is this family going to look like that you've promised? Is it just me and Tom and Julia? Or, you know, I know you've promised us a, you know, a family. But is it, does that include a baby? You know, I really mm-hmm. do want to be a mom mm-hmm. to my own child. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I definitely remember having, you know, driving down the road conversations with Jesus like, okay, you know, wide eyes wide open and 
um, singing in the car, crying in the car while I'm driving somewhere. My mom would get so worried about me because you need to stop crying so you can see to drive. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) but I knew it was going to work out. And I think one of the things for Tom and I is that he, watching him go through his back surgery and his tumor with his back um, showed me about how strong he was and how he didn't worry and how he didn't seem to be emotionally affected by things like I was. And I believe one thing, though, that really helped me was to see the strength of him Hmm. because he's a pretty strong person. I know that now. I didn't know that when I married him. I didn't know how strong he would be, but. Well, you know, you don't see that strength. You go through (laughs) these things. Right. Why should, why would you? Right. You haven't had that chance. That's one of those things that's, that's. It's almost like the hidden blessings that right. come along with trials is that you get to see that side of your husband, that side of your wife that that you have no opportunity to see without right. the heartache. Right. And, you know, just made me even more thankful. If I have him, we can get through anything, mm-hmm. you know, and I think sometimes my focus kind of got off of what God could do because I've got Tom because, mm. you know, and sometimes my focus would maybe get shifted and think in human strength, you know, mm. we've got this. And it it just, I, I don't know if God used it to say, but you don't mm. because your strength shouldn't be in him. Right. Your strength shouldn't be in yourself. Your strength should be in me. Your hope should be in me. And because, you know, there's no telling what, where we would be if, if we didn't depend on that. Right, right. But so after this, we're doing good. Life's good. And of course, you're not trying because I don't want to mess up a back. I don't want to, you know, I'm kind of scared now because I, I, I can see why scared. you would be. I, I can totally <laughs> see why you would be terrified. Right. To do anything, really. Because how long had you been married at this point? After his About back. a year and a half, maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so... We're getting close to two years. This was not the, the, this is not the image you had in your head. It's definitely not honey. I don't even, like, I don't remember. I remember a honeymoon, but it was literally that five days we spent in Los Cabos. And then it seemed like, okay, honeymoon's over. Right. You're like, I felt like our newlyweds, our newlywed time was really just, you know, literally, yes. (laughs) Yeah. This was not, this, you didn't have the, 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 the honeymoon period that no. most newlyweds had. Mm-mm. Goodness, mercy. No, you didn't. <laughs> so a year and a half in, three miscarriages, Tom's health scare. Yes. But we're doing good now. So things are starting to look up. You know, and that was encouraging. For a minute. Yep. <laughs> and so actually it was. Okay, before anybody turns the podcast off, her story does take a positive turn. Just hang yep. with us. <laughs> yep. And it's fixing to come right now because I'll... <laughs> Three losses. So we're on three, right? Yes, you had three. <laughs> right. It's kind of sad so, that you lose count. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and I'm, I was not happy about it then, but I can sure. talk about it now with, sure. you know, a lot less. I remember the day. Heavy. Yeah. Heaviness. Um, so we, I don't even remember, like I said, my journal is gone. So I ended up back in Dr. Chapman's office and... I think this was about February or March. If you do the math, I think that's right. Um, I had to have some blood work done. And it's really funny because at this point, it was kind of like, I think I might be pregnant. I went in, had my blood work done. They called me back the next day and they told me, yep, you're pregnant. And I was like, okay. I was like, is it bad that I'm not excited? Mm -mm. And they're like, no. And I said, I'm just not. I said, I'm I don't want to be excited because I don't want, I don't want to get my hopes up. And they're like, well, you can be excited though. And I said, I know, but I just, at that point it was, I can't, I can't get excited You've about You've already this. lost three at this right. point. So talk to the girl that, that is in that place. 
Because somebody, there's, I guarantee you, there's somebody that's joining us today that is is in the place where you were that day, who who's newly pregnant after so many losses, and she is so scared, and she can't get excited, and she's sitting here listening to this podcast, feeling so stinking guilty because she's not excited about the mm-hmm. baby growing in her womb, because she's scared to death that she's going to lose this one too. Talk to her right now. Don't think. Just talk. Hang in there. I know that's not anything special. Yes, you can get excited. Maybe not overly excited, cautiously excited, but you need to be excited because it is a life that God has put inside of you. Whether he chooses to give it to you or keep it for up there with him, it's life. And it's from God. It just, you have to trust his plan. And I know it's not easy. (laughs) Sorry. It's never easy. But I think the greater the blessing, sometimes the harder the journey. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but. It can be just as great of a blessing if you don't have to walk through a lot of hardships, but how much greater is it when you do? Mm-hmm. Because it just makes it just like heaven. It's just worth it. It's so much more worth it because look at all look at all the losses that you have had to give to God and be okay with. And you don't really have to be okay with it, but just you have to trust that You know, one thing that helped me get through those losses was when I got over the initial immediate grief, um, and I still do now, and this helps me still to this day, my babies are in the arms of Jesus or my grandma. Mm -hmm. I can see my grandma sitting in a rocking chair in heaven, rocking her grandbabies that she never got to see. And I just think, of the Natalie Grant song, I'm in better hands now. Mm. So for that child and that purpose, that child may be in better hands now. And so you can get excited and your heart can still hope. I would say to do it cautiously, but don't, don't let, don't let that joy be stolen from you because of what's happened in the past because it is the past and it's a new day tomorrow and just hold on to that because God's going to use it for some some way and some purpose you just have to trust that purpose and you have to you know just communicate with him and and just, it's it's a lot of trust and a lot of hope and you can't do that without him you know, I heard somebody say one time, every baby needs to be celebrated. Yes. Whether it's a full-term baby that that, that is born and grows up to adulthood and lives yes. to be an old man or an old woman. Yes. Or if it's a baby that, that only survives a few days in the womb, every baby deserves to be celebrated. So yep. celebrate that baby, even if you get just get to celebrate him or her today. Mm-hmm. Celebrate that baby mm-hmm. however you can, however you are able to do so. Right. Uh, even if you just celebrate it privately, just you. Yep. Yeah. It's a new a new day and a new pregnancy. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to end in loss uh, because your other ones did. And so right. um, when we wrap up at the end, we'll be praying for you and praying for your pregnancy. So whoever you are that we're talking to today, we'll be praying for that. Um, so you found out you were pregnant again. Yes, this is. Your fourth pregnancy. Yes, it's my fourth pregnancy. I didn't even tell my husband for two weeks. I would wow. not tell him Why? because I was scared to tell him. And then a week or two later, end up in an office being told that we lost that baby. Mm. So I kind of just um, held it to myself. I was the only person that knew about it and Dr. Chapman and, um, and prayed, 
please, God, let me have this baby. Let me carry this baby the whole, all the way. And so I told my husband and, you know, he was, like I said, cautiously excited because we knew what we had been through. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we made it past 12 weeks. And to make it past 12 weeks was when I started to get a little bit more excited. Because that's the longest you'd carried at that right. point, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, 12 weeks goes by and I actually made it to the 20th week. And I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe this is, this is, you know. Mm -hmm. And so then I started really getting excited about it. So um, Tom would, Tom would. One of the things that I'll never forget is he would um, sing to my belly at <laughs> night. He would sing. He's got the whole world in his hands. Oh. So that was our little tradition. And then long story short, everything was fine. Got to my glucose test and I passed it. Thank you. Because <laughs> I didn't want to do that over. And then... Um, we were, it was around October, it was about, my due date was October the 27th, because Tom's birthday was the 29th, and I thought, okay, I've made it this far, if I have this baby, wouldn't it be awesome to have it on Tom's birthday? So that would be so neat. So I was like, okay, hopefully I'm two days late, and I can have this baby, <laughs> if I have this baby on Tom's birthday. And I was at church on a Wednesday night on October the 23rd. And uh, my husband works in Awana with the little kids. So I was eating dinner with the Awana secretaries and we were upstairs in the church and he was downstairs with the kids. And all of a sudden I was, I got to go to the bathroom. So I got up to go to the bathroom and I felt something warm hit. And I was like, oh my gosh, did I just, did I just pee? And, um, so I walked back in the room because the girls that were in there were my good friends and they all have had at least one baby. And I walked back in and I looked at them and my one friend, Angela, looks at me and she's like, are you okay? And I said, I'm not sure, but I think, I don't know what this feels like, but I think my water may have just broken because I'm four days from my due date. And she said, I said, I'm going to the bathroom. So we ran to the bathroom and I got in there and went to pull my pants down. And as soon as I did, um, I was hemorrhaging. It was blood. Mm. And they said that I turned as white as a ghost. People were running, going mm -hmm. and trying to find doctors and nurses. And they got a nurse and doctor up there. They called the paramedics. They made me lay down on chairs in the bathroom upstairs. And they asked me, the first thing they asked me was, have you felt the baby move? And I said, no. And so then, of course, here comes that feeling of, um, God. And so. Not this one, too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I remember they went and got Tom. And Tom came in there and he just grabbed my hand. And he looked at me in the eyes and we didn't say one word, but he just, he stayed right there. Paramedics came. They couldn't get a pulse on me for some reason. Hmm. I was hemorrhaging. So they called it in, called the hospital and they told them that they had a, however old female, nine months pregnant and um, they can't get a pulse on her. So <laughs> they had the operating room ready at woman's hospital. And we went to the hospital, and I do remember not hollering, but I walked in that bathroom, and Angela was in there with me, and I said, please, God, don't let me lose this one, not this one. And so the ambulance came, and I remember they wheeled me right past triage into the mm -hmm. OR, and they all had their gloves on and their mask on, and I'm sitting up on the stretcher, and they're like, no, they said you, she didn't have a pulse. And we're like, no, no, she's hemorrhaging, but she's got a pulse. So all the while, the, the ambulance can't hook up a monitor to the baby. So I have no clue what's happening to the baby. 
and I'm petrified, like I'm scared to death. And so they said, we're going to have to admit you. So they put me upstairs. Um, there's all these people in the room, nurses and stuff. And they're like, you know, what do you need us to do? What do you need us to do? And I looked at him and I just said, I just want to make sure that my baby's okay. That's the only thing I want right now. And they hooked me up immediately to a, a Doppler. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they hooked it up, there was a heartbeat and it was loud and it was strong. It had to be the most beautiful sound <laughs> you've ever heard. <laughs> it was. And that beautiful sound. Um, came into the world about 845 mm-hmm. that night. We had to do an emergency mm-hmm. C-section because my I had a placenta abruption mm-hmm. and that's why I was hemorrhaging. And thankfully, I wasn't told till later that usually one of the two do, don't survive those. Right. And I was like, what? And yeah. um, Dr. LaFranco was the one who told me that because she did rounds. And when she told me that, I was so glad they waited till after it was all over with to tell me that. Cause if they would have told me that before, I don't, I don't know how I would have been. Um, Cause you didn't there. have the best track record. No, <laughs> no. Right. So, uh, but no. So anyway, 845, October 23rd, 2013, God gave us William David Bolton mm. and he, and he will be four next month. And that was our, I don't say miracle anymore, because I like to say that was our answer to prayer. Mm. But it was both. Right. And then, crazy enough, you know, okay, yay. I am thrilled beyond words. I feel like God spared me, spared my baby, and we're good. Now we have our baby. We have Julia. I think you know, if this is what God wants, mm-hmm. I am, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> no part of your story has gone like you thought it would anyway. So why should it now? Right. right? So <laughs> February, March, I don't remember why. I guess I was going to see Dr. Chapman for a checkup and guess what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am pregnant again. I'm like, okay. And your baby is? Will is probably four months old. So I found out I'm having a, another baby. And nine months passed. And on November the 18th, 2014, I had a normal C-section, not an emergency one. I had no problems during my pregnancy. Um, but I had Drew Thomas Bolton. So you had a normal pregnancy and a normal 13 delivery. 13 months later. Normal pregnancy, normal delivery. Well, C-section, yes, ma'am. But but not mm-hmm. not a scary time nope. like that time. Nothing. I bet you didn't know what to do with yourself, <laughs> did you? <laughs> and I only gained 17 or 18 pounds total. You didn't know what to do with yourself, mm-hmm, did I didn't. You? <laughs> and I ate cheeseburgers and milkshakes. <laughs> um. So, you know, I, my mother-in-law told me one time it was prayers left over from Will. There you go. And I said, you you know, that probably makes perfect sense too. And I bet it was because I know that there are people all over praying for us to have that baby that we so desired. And he gave us both of those. Um, And he's fixing to be three this coming November. And so, yes, life was great now. I was like, okay, thank you, God, for bringing us through those early hardships because you sustained us and here we are and you've given me the desires of my heart and I couldn't be more thankful. And then March of 2016, um, we had a little scare because we had a lot of rain that weekend and our yard flooded very, very much. And we thought that we were going to get some in our house that day. We didn't. But they told us expect about one to two feet in your house that weekend. And we cleared all of our furniture out and did all that and nothing. It just stayed in our yard. So in August, God wasn't done. In August, with the great flood, I know a lot of people um, sustained significant losses. Um, we had a one and a half story house and we got nine feet of water in it on August 
13th or whatever date that was. Let me back up just a minute. If you are if you are not from Louisiana, then you may not know what Amanda's talking about. Oh, in, yes. in the summer of 2016, our area um, had what they call a 500-year flood. And um, there's a community uh, in the suburbs of Baton Rouge where 90% of the community flooded in, uh, to one degree or another. Uh, it was devastating to this area. And Amanda and her husband were one of the ones who flooded. So that's the flood that she's making reference to. Yes. And um, here it is, you know, God's given us these babies. And that night when we were picking our furniture up off the floor and taking what we could upstairs, I'm thinking the whole time, okay, this isn't going to be too, too bad. We can handle this. We've handled worse. We, we got, we're, we're going to, we're going to be fine. And Tom kept saying, we're going to be fine. This is okay. You know, God's got this. And yep, he does. And so the next morning I wake up and I look out the window on both of our vehicles, a Ford truck, a Honda Odyssey van are completely submerged underwater. You can't see the road. Both of the houses next to us are completely underwater. And I opened the door to the room upstairs and walked out onto the platform or the landing. And I looked and the water was almost up to that second landing, second floor landing where we were. And I immediately tried to get on my cell phone and call for help. Got in touch with the fire department. They told me, we'll put you on a list. And so when I hung up with them, terror set in. I looked at my husband. I said, you have to get us out of here. I remember during those floods, you, you were able to post messages on Facebook. I was. I remember reading your posts and you were saying my ba- uh, that you needed help, that water was up to the second floor of your home and you were in there with your babies and you needed somebody to rescue you. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember how scary that was because I remember telling somebody, this is somebody I know and she has toddlers and water is up to the second floor of her house and somebody needs to go get her. And it's not the kind of thing where you're sitting back doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You're sitting back and there's nothing you can do. Right. Because I don't have a boat. Mm-hmm. And if I, I mean, I could not have gone to get you if I had tried. Right. Because water was up to the second floor of your mm-hmm. house. Right. But you you were up there with babies. Right. These miracle babies that you had prayed for. Yes. You know, that you had fought for. And you're seeing water come up to the second floor of your house. Right. And it was terrifying. It was scary to watch on Facebook. <laughs> I literally <laughs> yeah. cried. and I told I told our friend that did have a boat because you couldn't get to anywhere in Central unless you had a boat. No. The whole, at that point, the whole all the roads were submerged. The whole community was underwater mm-hmm. and people were out there trying the best they could to get to people, mm-hmm. you know, and thankfully you and your family were rescued. Yes. And and out. And here we are a year later and you're still living in a FEMA trailer. We are. Five of us in a three bedroom FEMA trailer next to our house that is still not able to be fixed because we have to elevate it first. And so I was thinking about this before you got here today. With the floods, the whole community was affected. Correct. Uh, You know, you couldn't talk to a friend Mm -hmm. or a family member or a neighbor or somebody who wasn't affected. Mm -hmm. But walking through infertility and loss and all these things can feel so very isolating. Mm -hmm. What's it been like for you to walk through these very significant stressors back to back, one that's so isolating, one that's not. What's it been like for you to walk through these back to back? Completely I guess speechless. When you walk through such a hard trial because these are not lightweight things no (laughs) but god teaches you so much in those dark times yes then the next trial you face you you kind of you tend to reach back to the to the previous trial Mm -hmm. to kind of help you get through your current one do you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. what he taught you um yesterday helps you today and I just wonder if some of those things that he walked you through losing those babies before Will and Drew got here teaches you 
today the faithfulness of God. I walked you through losing those babies. Absolutely. And I'm going to walk you through rebuilding your home and, and getting you through this. Absolutely. Faithfulness for sure. Um, I mean, that's the thing that we definitely know and can see and is very evident to Tom and I through all of it. You know, he's never left us. Mm -hmm. He's never said, okay, you can, you can do this by yourself. I gave you some stuff and you got through it just fine. So you can, you can do this one on your own. No, as soon as it's, it's there, he's right there with us to mm-hmm. walk through it with us. And, you know, I think about my dear friend who had to say goodbye to her husband last weekend. Mm. And I see the strength that she exhibits and, and you know, how her hope is in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And she sees the faithfulness of mm-hmm. God through those trials and through that trial specifically. And, um, I think it helps me have more compassion for others oh, I bet. I'm sure. who are walking through that. I'm sure. But it definitely does. And I'm thankful for it. It's, it, it's to me, a constant reminder of God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about three different losses, but you actually had a fourth. I did. I actually had one after Drew. We, we definitely didn't plan on having another one after. I mean, poor little Drew. He was he was a complete surprise to us anyway because we didn't you know we we had will so we didn't try it was we are so thankful that God gave us this one and we're going to be happy in that and we're going to be thankful for that and it was just kind of I think it became more real to me that there's a reason there's a purpose mm. okay. I don't know what it is today but there's obviously a reason. So how did you see your relationship with God change throughout all this, throughout all of these losses? It definitely grew. And I was it's a lot stronger, I believe. And it it's more easy for me to say some of those, to say some of those things like you really have to trust God. Because, you know, you hear people say that, and it sometimes maybe sounds like a cliche. Mm-hmm. But it's not. I think it's... I think he became more real to me and shows me still. I mean, when I look at my kids, I still say, I'm so thankful. Mm. I think it's given me a heart of thankfulness too. Instead of, you know, I could have six kids right now. Mm. God, I'm so thankful for those two little boys right there. So thankful. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, again, I'm thankful for your faithfulness to us. And, you know, you know, it was tough. It was, it was, it's been hard. It has not been easy whatsoever. And I think it prepared me to keep an attitude of thankfulness, have a compassionate heart for others, and never, ever you know, never, ever lose my trust in him because he will see you through it. A lot of people want to give back after they've been through something mm-hmm. traumatic. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yes. I want to become more involved in Sarah's laughter because mm-hmm. I have not been since I had You've the been babies. a little busy. <laughs> I've been a little busy, but I definitely, I remember telling you when I saw you mm-hmm. at the brunch, mm-hmm a few months ago that I want to, I want to become more active in this organization, especially because Mm -hmm. I feel like I have something to give. Mm -hmm. I have something that hopefully will help somebody else Mm -hmm. that's lost a baby. One thing that we're working on here in the area of loss is pairing people like Amanda with other, other people who have lost their babies. And um, that's something that we're working on. And we'll talk more about that as we get that program going. Um, somebody who has walked through the loss of a baby in the third trimester, we'll connect them with you if you've lost your baby in the third trimester. Somebody who's lost multiple babies, we can connect them with you if you have found yourself in that situation. You know, if you've lost a baby due to uh, chromosomal abnormalities, we'll be able to connect you with 
someone else who has done that. And so that's something that we're working on. And, and um, as we get to the point where we're ready to launch that program, we'll let you know more about that here. Because we want you to know that as devastating as these losses are, you can survive this. You can thrive through this and uh, you're going to be okay. Um, that God is faithful to you. He'll put the right people in your path and you will find joy in your life again. Um, and we want you to know that and we want to connect you with people who have, who have walked that road ahead of you. And um, just so that you can learn from their experiences and kind of lean on their strength while you're walking through that grieving process. So Amanda, what would you say to somebody who has, um, who's walked through this very dark season of grief and she's grieving the loss of her babies today? What would you say to her? You're not alone. It's not your fault. It's nothing you or anybody, your husband, it's nothing you or anybody did. God has that little baby and he's going to take that. He's going to take care of that baby until you can see him one day and you will be reunited and you will get to see that baby. Unfortunately or fortunately it will be in heaven, but that baby's in better hands. And I know it's not easy to hear. It's not easy to say, but I would say, read, read, read the word. Pray with your husband. Don't, um, don't isolate yourself. Mm. You need other people. Mm -hmm. You need others because I mean, I found for me, it helped me to talk about it. Mm. Some people, it doesn't help them to talk about it. But for me, if I talked about it, that helped me heal. And I've actually had two, two cousins who've experienced one went through fertility and lost babies. And I have one who had no problems with fertility. She has two older children and she just had a set of twins. And after eight days, one of the babies was born with spina bifida. And after eight days, that baby went to heaven to be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I know right now she is walking a very difficult path. And I've actually sent her care packages. I've called to check her on her. If she doesn't feel like talking, she won't answer her phone. So then I shoot her a text message and I just either say a prayer or send her a scripture or just tell her, I love you. I'm thinking about you today. Um, call me if you need me. You know, I know I'm not in the same state you are, but you're in my thoughts and you're in my prayers. And to me, those type of friends are you treasure when you walk through those and, and great connection and support groups like Sarah's laughter, you get involved, mm -hmm. get involved and come let those other girls who are walking through the same thing or something similar, let them love on you and let them get involved in your, in your story so that, you know, it encourages you so that one day you can use it to encourage others. Mm -hmm. We always like to uh, wrap up our podcast by praying for you. Um, and so we want to pray for you today, whether you have um, gone through one miscarriage or you've gone through several, or maybe the only place you've ever seen your baby was on a, a stilled sonogram screen or on an, a positive pregnancy test. Uh, we know that your heart hurts when you don't get to bring that baby home. And so we want to pray for you today and um, just ask God to make his presence very known to you as you walk through this season of grief. Um, so know that today that when we close these podcasts out by praying, it's not just because that's how we close our podcast, but that we really are uh, approaching God on your behalf. We don't have to know who you are individually because God does. And we know that he sees you. We believe, we, uh, believe that he brings you to this podcast on purpose so that there's something that um, is said to you today to encourage you and to let you know that he does hear you. He does hear your cry for a baby. He does hear your cry for healing. And so um, when we're praying, we really are praying for you. 
Father, we thank you for this time together. I thank you, God, that you have um, allowed us to have this podcast so that we can speak to to folks all over this globe. God, there's such a, a bond between those of us who have cried out to you for babies. Lord, and I pray today for those who are in a season of grief, grief over these babies that we have wanted so desperately, God, and and for whatever reason in your sovereignty, uh, you have... Um, not allow these babies to to come to term. God, we pray for these parents of these babies who hurt, who uh, question you, God, but you you knew these questions would come, uh, yet you love us and you walk us through them. You don't turn your back on us because we're angry or because we're sad or because we hurt. Instead, God, you've told us that, that you're very near to the brokenhearted. You don't just sit there. You bind our wounds. And so, God, I lift up every person to you who hears this podcast, who hurts today, who who misses that baby, who whose dreams have not played out the way they thought they would. God, I ask that you heal them everywhere they hurt, that you heal emotions, that you heal bodies, that Lord, somehow you restore that trust, you restore that hope, that you bring peace into homes, God, where peace seems to have vanished. God, I pray that you encourage the hearts of the listeners, Lord, that that they know that you still have a purpose and a plan for their lives, for their families. And Lord, reassure them, God, that their babies are safe within your care, that heaven is a literal place, and that you are a God who loves us so much that you were willing to sacrifice your baby to give us an eternity with ours. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for heaven. God, we ask you for babies, for every person who cries out to you for them. And when these babies are conceived, God, we ask that there's no more miscarriage in the name of Jesus, that every uh, every wife is a godly mother, every husband is a godly father, and that these children come to know you at an early age, that they make a powerful difference in the kingdom of heaven. God, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Ladies, thank you so much for tuning in to this story night slash Sarah's laughter episode. <laughs> I hope it encouraged you. And, and if you are listening and you've been going through the grief of a miscarriage or infertility or something similar, please check out the Sarah's laughter podcast where there are well over 100 stories of women who get it and want to remind you that you are not alone. Thanks again so much for listening, and we hope you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.